He's got a bit of a croaky voice. It's that husky kind of Scarlett Johansson thing. Really? It's the only time I'll ever compare you to Scarlett Johansson. Thanks, mate. Well, that's a bit unfair. You both have heads. The Germans, they're in trouble. Alcantara couldn't do it. Lineker probably could. And he got the big one. Welcome everybody to the Final Countdown, a podcast looking back at great finals within the game of football. I am Lewis here with my co-host Adam. Hello. And it's a big one today, so we're going to get straight into it. Uh, the standard question, Adam, what do you know of the 1982 World Cup final? Well, I was alive. Oh, that's good. Yeah. This is, this first is, one. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. your first one. First one I was alive for. I mean, I was three. Um, so most of what I know is historical rather than what I experienced. Sure, yeah. Uh, I know England were back. We were back, yeah. After Keegan a, and Co. After missing a two-year, uh, sorry, not two-year, two, year, two tournament yeah. um, basis, correct? So England were back. I don't think they did very well. I think they went serial drawers after Brian Robson's 17-second goal in the first game, um, which I had never added up to the fact that was against France, who then yeah. went on to have a brilliant tournament. Exactly. Yeah. Very interesting. So I know Northern Ireland had a bit of a run. Yes, correct. And then I know the Brazil team were very much touted to be back an as offensive a, as force. a world force yeah so I'm not going to touch on the Brazilian team too much because they had a lot of hype around them because offensively they were brilliant but defensively not so yeah. much but they had that kind of air of 1970 where it was like okay which of the five attackers are you going to try and Samba stop? style it was just yeah ridiculous stuff although do not speak ill of Socrates oh of course not mate he is a one of the finest players one of the finest minds of a footballing generation <laughs> Guy goes on to just be a philosopher, a hero, a doctor, smoked 50 a day. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> absolutely outrageous that he could have that habit and still be that good. He's got absolutely no right um, doing that. Anything else about the uh, the tournament? I know, I, I like spot things, I know the Schumacher foul mm, uh, on Batistone, um, Platini's emergence. So a few, a few things. I know yeah. who won it, but I, I don't want to take away. Sure. No, that's great. Storytelling. Uh, so to uh, round off the kind of context of this tournament and this final, it was hosted in Spain. Yep. Uh, it's worth saying. So 1982, Spain. It's the first time uh, the World Cup finals have been expanded from 16 to 24 teams. Of course, yeah. So probably why there was such a strength of teams in this one. Although there were uh, smaller minnows like Honduras who played their first ever one. So in as much as, similar to the arguments that happen nowadays about expanding the World Cup, mm. uh, especially with it going to 48 teams um, yeah. next tournament, yeah, is that it's great because it allows, you know, minnows to have these amazing experiences and who knows what underdogs you get, but you do also get, unfortunately, a lower quality of opposition. Yeah. And sometimes the games can suffer for it. So we'll see how that uh, rolls around in three and a half years' time. Um, but this was the last World Cup to feature two rounds of group stages as well. So I think it's oh, the yeah, third yeah. one that we've covered. Yeah. But yeah, so it stuck around. We'd win one group stage, go into a second group stage, and then it was yeah. quarter semis final. So this is the final time that happened. England, Northern Ireland, Scotland um, did debate withdrawing from the tournament, which I was very surprised by. Do you know what was happening globally that made home nations nervous? 
It was before the Falklands, wasn't it? So, yeah, the Falklands War is what um, nations very, very nervous about. Oh, okay. So there was a directive from the English FA that no contact was to be made between the UK and Argentina at any given point. Wow. And there was serious um, contemplation about withdrawing. But then basically England, uh, Scotland, Northern Ireland realised that nobody else was... Um, debating withdrawing everyone else was going ahead and they thought it's not worth making the statement if we're alone oh, so that was interesting so yeah. they they kind of changed none of them mind played Argentina did they no, no no so that that didn't come up and whether that was by lottery or whether yeah. it was chosen four years know. later they did yeah of after course. The, the, the conflict yeah so I thought that was interesting kind of the the shadow of the Falklands yeah, yeah. hanging over this which I didn't realize uh, so group two saw one of the great world cup upsets on the first day um, with Algeria beating West Germany which wow. was a really big shock. Wow. But this led to um, a game, and this we've spoken about this before, where games are given like the miracle of Bern or what have you. Mm. This is the disgrace of Gijon. So what happened here is that West Germany met Austria in a yes. match later on. I thought this was 78. No, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Algeria had played their final group game the day before. Yeah. It was moments like this where they said, we need to end all the games at the same time. But because West Germany and Austria knew that um, if... Germany won by one or two goals, both teams would qualify. So Germany go all out attack in the first kind of 20 minutes, they get the goal they need. Yeah. And then for 70 minutes, both yeah. teams... Just kick it around the back, don't they? Yeah, yeah they it's horrible. It. Yeah. It's, it's, it is probably the biggest, almost blatant version of cheating in World Cup history. Yeah. Because it isn't just like, you know, oh, there was all this off-the-field pressure, there was all this dictatorship, stuff that's very murky and shadowy. This was playing out in front of yeah. this hundreds is the of thousands of people. Being- ripped to shreds yeah it? exactly so um neither team obviously wanting to score or upset the balance so unfortunately both teams just played out like you say 70 minutes knocking it around the back and this this performance is so widely deplored that german and austrian fans even german fans were burning their team flags in disgust wow. so even the fans were unhappy because again even as england fans i think if somehow we were in this situation we'd be ashamed yeah yeah yeah, exactly so that happens so the disgrace of Gijon gets added to our list of great titles Gijon uh, one of the greatest semi-finals in World Cup history, though, was mm. played between France and West Germany. Yeah, and we are we are recording this after the 2022 World Cup final, yeah. which was a three-all absolute barnstormer. Yeah. I think probably on a tangent. Ad, is it the greatest World Cup final ever? I think it is, mate. Because World Cup finals generally aren't great anyway. So in terms of a, a like back and forth, I remember West Germany Argentina in '86 was a good game. Yeah, but it didn't feel like. Anybody could win this. Mm-hmm. You kind of felt like Maradona would win eventually. Yeah. Whereas this, it was like, I can't pick what's going to happen no. next. And every time you felt like, yeah. so obviously the first 70 minutes, okay, Argentina are in the ascendancy here. It's going to be a walkover. And yeah. then France get momentum. So you're like, okay, France have got this. And that, yeah. So yeah. It was nuts. It was, a, it was a crazy game of football. And not just the goals, but just everything else that was happening, the tension, the chances, mm-hmm. the save from Martinez in the last seconds. Yeah. The, nar- the narrative of Mbappe and Messi. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was just full on. It was brilliant. Brilliant was. to watch. Um, so in, in that similar vein, it was a three-all in after extra time between France and West Germany yeah. in this semi-final. But the real drama came, and you mentioned this at the start, at one-all, when French player Batisson was absolutely annihilated by the German goalkeeper Schumacher. Deliberately. Yeah, Definitely. it's it's sickening when you, you kind of watch it. And look, luckily slash unluckily kind of you see it happen in the corner of the screen all the footage it's not front and center because quite rightly they're following the ball so for those that don't know long ball was hit over from um france batisson the french player is running through and is basically going to be one-on-one with the goalkeeper manages to get a touch to send it past schumacher and schumacher then decides just to jump leading with his knee in his thigh yeah. and he uh 
breaks Batasson's jaw, knocks out two of his front teeth. Yeah. Uh, Batasson kind of gets substituted and is 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 a bit of a wreck following this. Uh, he gets uh, stretched off, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, he it's it is kind of horrible when you watch footage back because you see that you know when boxers get knocked down like their kind of hands yeah. tighten. Yeah. You see Batasson kind of clenching a fist. It's it's really uncomfortable. The Schumacher's to watch. reaction is shameful, doesn't it? Yeah, he's essentially like just get on with it. Yeah, exactly. Like, he, no shame at all. Astonishingly, Schumacher was not booked. For that yeah, foul, yeah. absolutely. I can only imagine the ref missed. Astounding, it. he must have done. But unfortunately, Batson's touch uh, that took it round Schumacher went wide of the goal, so they didn't they didn't get the yeah. goal and suffer the injury. It was just uh, Germany managed to get away with it, and then uh, this led to the first penalty shootout in World Cup history. Yeah. So it had been brought in. I can't remember one or two tournaments earlier. I feel like two yeah. tournaments earlier, but it hadn't been used at any point. Um. So the first World Cup uh, shootout, Adam. Which team won the shootout? Uh, West Germany won the shootout. West Germany yeah, won the shootout. Who are we talking about? Of course, right. yeah. And and it begins yeah. basically. Yeah. Germany get their first ever uh, penalty shootout, and it was win. quite a shock, wasn't it? Because West Germany weren't necessarily known as willpower, whereas France were. Yeah, yeah. yeah great team. Tigana, Platini, there's another guy, Alan something. Okay, uh, who plays in midfield? Right. But yeah, those three guys together, uh, they're like. European powerhouse. Yeah, France were highly favoured to get well, through Well, they won this. Euros two years after this, didn't they? That's right, yeah. And, and were highly anticipated to win in 86. It was a surprise that Germany managed to to stick with them, especially like you again mentioned at the start, but Platini be kind of becoming a, yeah. a, a world beater, one of the literally the world's best players at this yeah, point yeah. within kind of the top five anyway. Um, on the other semi, not much to report, I'm afraid, um, but Poland were edged out by Italy in their semi-final 2-0. So we're saying that Italy didn't have a great group stage, so they um, only just managed to get out of their first group stage after drawing three games. Yeah, there was a bit of that in this tournament, wasn't there? Because England drew a lot of games so, as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think this is one of the lowest scoring World Cup finals ever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like England, Cameroon were the other team in Italy's group, and they had drawn three right. along with Italy. But on goal difference, yeah. on goals scored, Italy, Italy managed to go through. Yeah. So it was very close to Italy, kind of going not, out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And they didn't set the world on uh, alight when they kind of managed to get through. They obviously grew with momentum, grew into the well, tournament. The big game with Italy wasn't it? it was the quarterfinal against Brazil. That was because it's weird, really, with it. Eighty-two is you can almost have you get these headline games that almost set the. That's what the World Cup was like. Well, actually, the Italy Brazil Cup final three-two Italy, where they it was ding dong. It, yeah, it went back and forth. Socrates scoring a great goal and then smoked the fag on the side. <laughs> that didn't happen. And then uh, the Germany France semi final almost kind of like oh that's what the eighty-two World Cup was like. It mm-hmm. was like well no it wasn't. It was just isolated games. Yeah, yeah. Italy scraped through on draws. England went out on draws. Yeah, goal difference. Exactly. It was that really was the story of too many group games, really too many yeah. games which weren't knockout. I think that's exactly it, and probably what what led them to change their mind about the, yeah. the two group stages. Yeah. Um, because it seems I don't know fair's the word. It does seem like you know the best teams will because it's not knockout. Yeah. You are likely to get the best teams going through if you have two extra group yeah, stages. Yeah. yeah. So it, in one way, it kind of secures the the bigger teams, but also doesn't lend itself to those like you say those knockout high drama high stakes anything can yeah. happen like on their day like we see them with Morocco this year yeah kind of like well, that's I mean that's well I mean the group stage is good it gets you into it and there's loads of games and you like yeah. you like that in tournament but really knockout football is where the tournament begins because yeah. it's like it's you have a bad day you're out. You're out. And we know better than most as England fans. You think yeah. about Iceland and, yeah, yeah, and teams yeah, exactly. like that. You just yeah. go, and obviously Greece managing to win the Euros. You just yeah. think, 
yeah, it, knockout football is what separates it from being a, a Super League or a Nations League, yeah. which doesn't have anywhere near the drama. It's no, not just about not. prestige, but it's like, oh, great, we won four out of our five games. We're the champions. Yeah. It's just not yeah. as... Yeah. There's not the absence of pressure, absence of it being on the world stage. Like, the, you know, they call these tournaments what they like, but the Euros just about steps up. Yeah. But even when you win the Euros, there is always that feeling of... We haven't won the World Cup yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's strange, isn't it? Yeah. Like Italy being the most obvious recent example. Totally. Like weren't at the one before or the one after yeah. World Cups. Yeah. But Correct. won the Euros. Yeah. Like, I don't that Italy team isn't gonna go down in history. No, not at all. Which is interesting, really. So with that in uh, place, we're gonna head over to the game. So, uh, unlike the tournament that you had to cover last time, Addy, which was um, absolutely the political stuffed, bomb, yeah, yeah, stuffed full of off the pitch stuff. Yeah. This was relatively straightforward in terms of a tournament. It was back to the football now, and other yeah. than the Falklands thing, which ultimately was kind of resolved before the teams got to the tournament. Yeah. Um, it basically became about on the pitch stuff, and, and like you spoke about, the course finals, semi finals were where the drama was at. This game unfortunately it was relatively straightforward um, yeah. and that, that played into Italy's hands so like we've spoken about Germany weren't the powerhouse they'd been previously they were still a good team they weren't a vintage Germany side and you look at the, no. the team sheet Rummenigge's there um, Young Tremler yeah, that's right yeah. uh, a few others but ultimately they're not a star-studded team whatsoever and this Italy, Italy team is more probably well known a lot of players obviously the strength of Italian domestic football at the time was very mm. strong as well so with Italy it wasn't even so much a tactical battle it was a little bit similar I know obviously recency bias so I'm kind of talking a lot about the 2022 final but where France just didn't turn up against Argentina for the mm. first 70 minutes they yeah. were off the pace that's basically what happened with West Germany against Italy Italy turned up they were efficient they were strong in terms of their formation and their shape and Germany just weren't at the races for a long long right. time ultimately that is the story of the final so in a somewhat cautious and drab first half pretty much one of the only moments is that uh, Antonio Cabrini an Italian player misses a penalty after being awarded is drives, that right? Didn't know and that. it gets forgotten because nothing else Else happens in the first half that is, is pretty much the only moment of note yeah. is that Italy get a penalty against the Germans and uh, Cabrini fires wide so it doesn't even force a wow, save okay. uh, which is the cardinal sin of all, all penalty takers yeah. um, but nevertheless that is pretty much all that happens in the first half and the game comes to life though in the second half um, because basically the, the ultimately superior Italians break the deadlock through their star player of this tournament who was Adi Max? Rossi correct Paolo yeah. Rossi I didn't know if you are going to go a different direction no I wasn't I wasn't going to say exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was strongly zigging there. So across from outside, the right side of the penalty box by, I want to say Gentile. Is that how you say his name? I don't know. I think it's Gentile. All right. Um, I never know if it's Gentile or Gentile, but I'm going to say Gentile. Um, was missed by the first duo of attacker and defender. Bounces off the floor, um, ready for Paolo Rossi to poach and uh, head into he the head it, the yeah, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So he arrives kind of late. The, the cross initially looks like it's going to another Italian player who's being marked by a German um, but they both miss the ball, it just goes over the head, and as it bounces, Paolo Rossi gets mm. on the end of it. Tardelli combined with fullback Gentile, and there was the ever alert Rossi to open the scoring. Really good poaching play. 
Um, and and re- really, me and you were talking off air beforehand about the fact that Paolo Rossi lives in international folklore, but from domestic point of view, it's a bit nothing. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he wasn't that special a striker yeah. uh, for club level. Played for um, Vicenza, played for Juventus, scored an okay amount of goals there, yeah. but nothing. It's funny, isn't now. it? You're really talking whatever this is, six, seven games in his career is how he's... So I just read a minute ago that um, Pele named him as in 2004 as one of the top 100 players still living, which is crazy. It is crazy. Really, you're talk, you remove the seven games in the 82 World Cup. He played in 78, but Italy didn't really do an awful lot. No, he was just a very average striker. Yeah, he was funny, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. the Emil Heskey of Italy. That's what I, mean. I was just thinking <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't name Heskey as one of the top 100 players because he played in a World Cup once. Yeah. But because of this World Cup, it is amazing with that. Like, obviously, a lot of talk this week about whether Messi is now the goat, the goat and all the rest mm. of it. It's like, has one tournament changed that? You know, See, yeah, it's it strange, isn't it? And I'm not saying it shouldn't, but it's just like... Has seven games changed the opinion? Well, it's interesting because I go the other way, obviously, because I do, because I'm a messy defendant to the end. But yeah. I go the other way in as much as you're right, one game doesn't define you. So the fact that he's won the World Cup doesn't instantly make him the greatest no. of all time. For me, even if he had lost, he would have been the greatest of all time. Yeah. So one game doesn't like define your entire thing because we've just spoke about this five minutes ago. It's knockout football. The best team doesn't always win. No, the best no. players don't always no. win. So you can easily just say, okay, like... You, we could argue because people like to compare Maradona. Um, your brother, my good friend Paul, likes to <laughs> wind me up by saying Maradona's better than Messi. Which, again, like it's six of one, half dozen the other. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not actually that difficult a debate to have. But the reason I bring it up is because if Maradona hadn't won eighty six, yeah, do, do you then just go, well, Maradona wasn't the goat because he yeah. didn't win the World Cup? Yeah, yeah. You kind of just go, well, no, he still would have been one of the greatest players ever. He's still top three, even if he hadn't won the 86. If they'd lost in the final, would you then go, well, Maradona can't be considered a great because he never won a World Cup. It's like, hmm. I mean, going back to Rossi, like if if Italy hadn't won this World Cup, no one would talk about Paolo Rossi as a, a, you know, maybe if he'd got top scorer. But then even then, like, no, you know, God bless him. No one says Gary Lineker, one of the top 100 players of all time. No. Lato, who we covered for Poland. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just forgotten names. Yeah, it's a really interesting... I mean, it's a debate that will go on and on, but it is really interesting, like, the importance that gets put on seven games yeah. in a person's career is crazy. But it's so it's so funny, isn't it? Because you can just paint the narrative either way, because then you can say somebody like Mbappe is obviously very young, and it's mm. like he's taken seven games to ultimately just lay the, the runway now for the next 10 years yeah. of his uh, yeah. footballing career because yeah. of what he's achieved so early on through the World Cup. He's obviously, he's never won a Champions League. He's won Ligue 1 lots of times because of the team he plays for in yeah. Paris Saint-Germain. But he hasn't proved himself other than in World Cups at the moment. Like, yeah. obviously, he does perform consistently. I, I, I think you get what I'm trying to but put But it's interesting, but is it? Because that is almost where the argument was the other way because you kind of think, well, what he did on Sunday proves he's as good yeah. as people say he is. Yeah, exactly. Like, the Paris Saint-Germain argument goes out the window yeah. because he did it on the world stage. So yeah. he did it over those seven games. So therefore yeah. it's funny, isn't it? Cause you can look at it both ways yeah. kind of depending on your argument. But I agree with you. It's like, if you can do it on the world cup um, consistently, not just one great yeah. game. In the world I mean, cup. those are pressure games. Like you'll never play in no. anywhere else in your career, yeah. maybe Champions League final, but you know, even then like the, the, the eyes of the world, like yeah. that's, that's high level. Yeah, totally. 
So uh, back to our final in 82. So Italy have gone 1-0 up thanks to Paolo Rossi. But 12 minutes later, Italy double their lead in the 67th minute. And it's Marco Tardelli. Yes, I knew it was this game. Yes. What a legend. So he sets himself up for a half volley on the edge of the area. And it's worth going back and watching on YouTube because the, the build-up play is really good. Italy's are assured in possession. They look really comfortable. And it's Scaria, who's the sweeper. Yeah. has ended up in the opposition penalty box and he does the, you know, the back heel where you kind of cross one leg over the other and back, yeah. heel, he back heels it back to another Italian player who rolls the ball to Marco Tardelli, mm. who it looks like it's a, a miscontrol and the ball kind of bounces up. He hits this sliding kind of half volley. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good strike, really good goal. And I saw an angle I'd never seen before, which is behind the opposition goal. Okay. And so you see, he definitely tries to chip the ball up to himself. I don't think it's it, it plays out exactly as he plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as the ball comes from the cross, he does kind of stamp at it as if to chip it up to himself. So I think he really intends to do it. He scores and then... Do you iconic. Know, man. Yeah, Absolutely so the iconic. iconic. Do you want to just explain the celebration to those that don't know? It's very simple. I mean, I think he celebrates like all of us imagine we would celebrate. Yes, he that just is it. turns and he's just like his face is going to explode. He's yeah. almost in tears, if not in tears. He's pumping, fist pumping. It's yeah. it is full on. I'm so glad you said that because that is the only way I can describe it. I uh, rewatched it again in Ready for This. I'd obviously seen it before, lots of programs and things, but yeah, it is just there is about two seconds maybe where he is completely emotionless, where it's sinking in. Yeah, what, what, has just what he's just done. Essentially, and, prop, you know, in his head, probably thought I've won the World Cup exactly. There. Yeah, and then exactly like you said, you just see pure ecstatic joy yeah. and disbelief just erupt out of him um, and it is exactly like we would do and he just yeah it's not like special he doesn't do a dance he doesn't do a flip no. he just it's the fist pumping like an absolute lunatic yeah I mean that's, it's not a great celebration in some ways because no. it's, it's absolute he's lost himself like how he played on after that because he must have been in pieces exactly it was interesting do you think if Alan Shearer had scored a World Cup winner you'd still get the one arm in the air Shira or would Shearer have gone absolutely nuts? The most emotional, remember it, in 2000, we hadn't beaten Germany in a major tournament for since 66. Yeah. And we beat them 1-0. Terrible game. Dennis Wise played, says everything. <laughs> um, he's a very Poor Dennis. man. <laughs> Poor Dennis Wise is getting stray shots. Yeah, minding yeah, his yeah. own business. Yeah. So, yeah. But Shearer scored with a diving header. I don't know if you remember the game. He scored with a diving header. England were wearing red. And he celebrated then more emotionally than I'd ever seen him. Right. And it, I think the game meant a lot yeah. to beat Germany in the major tournament. It was a big hyped up thing. And he went a bit non-Shearer-like, like, no like fist bumping and like it, you could see it meant a lot. He also did it in Euro Night 6 when they scored in the semi. Yeah, see, that's the one that I think yeah. of. But So I, I don't think, I think he would have lost himself yeah. a little bit. I just think if you score at a World Cup final, you can't, you can't do no, the no. kind of arm in the air. It would overwhelm you a little yeah. bit, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah. Unless you're Mario Balotelli and you just take your top off and flex. Of course. You just absolutely... Of course, yeah. yeah. Absolute hero. If, the thing about Tardelli, I think it's worth noting that no one has really ever uh, drawn attention to, is how much Marco Tardelli looks like Glenn Hoddle. Oh, interesting. That's Have a, a look shout. at that celebration. Imagine Glenn Hoddle crying. <laughs> Easily done. <laughs> yeah, and you'll see it. Yeah, it, it, maybe it's his brother or something. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it, I've always thought that. It's a bit weird. You, you've got a thing for like doppelgangers and people that look similar. You, I have, yeah. Often with WWF wrestlers, but... <laughs> it's true, yeah, yeah. Michael Tardelli looked like Randy Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Again, not terrible. That's, that's good, right off the dome there. So with Italy 2-0 up, they were happy to sit back and soak up pressure and they allowed Germany a lot more of the ball who started to throw everything forward. So Germany really just 
again, it wasn't so much tactical. It was just every man for himself throwing everything, including the kitchen sink, at Italy. But they didn't get any clear-cut chances. So, um, unfortunately, this allowed Italy to drive a final nail into Germany's coffin. As Germany piled forward, Italy won possession and countered. Fine bit of work from Bruno Conte on the right-hand side. Kind of really, really good attacking dribbling. Uh, He just rolls the ball to substitute Alessandro Altobelli. Sorry, I should give that more flavour. Alessandro Altobelli. That's better. Yeah, <laughs> there we yeah, go. Yeah. Who receives the ball kind of on the penalty spot. And Schumacher is way is run to the penalty spot to try and close him down. Altobelli takes a, a slight touch to the left and rolls it basically into an empty net. There is a defender on the line, but he's nowhere near it. And you do it's kind 3 of think, nil, was it? I didn't know it was 3 nil. So it went 3-0. Right. Um, and at this point, the Italian president, Sandro Patini, started to wag his finger at the cameras as if to say, no coming back from this. <laughs> so he's loving it. Italy are starting to just, you know, celebrate with abandon at this point. But only two minutes later, that man, Paul Breitner, Oh, of course, score. yeah, full um, yeah. and secure his re- uh, record as one yeah. of the four people scoring uh, multiple World Cup yeah. finals. So um, it's the 83rd minute. He fires low past the um, Italian goalkeeper Dino's off. Yeah, a little bit about him at yeah. the end. Um, but Italy were untroubled past that, and they held on. And with the final whistle, they won their first World Cup title in 44 years. Of course, yeah, and their third in total with a 3-1 victory. Yeah. So as much as Germany tried in the remaining seven minutes, there was nothing more for them. So Italy were level with Brazil then at that Correct. point. Yeah, three each. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Think about that, do you? So with that being said, we're going to go into our extra time round. <laughs> You have just witnessed 90 of the most gripping minutes of European football you will ever, ever see. But the good news is there's more to come. So the Italian player Claudio Gentili was very intense. So this is why I didn't know if you'd know how to pronounce his name. Because in the um, game against Argentina, where Italy faced Argentina, Diego Maradona's Argentina, he had the job of marking Diego Maradona. So it was basically very uh, very intense violent and a lot of foul language he's basically right. screaming in the face of Maradona every time right. and he set a, a record so his aggressive man marking of Diego Maradona um, he fouled the Argentine star 11 times in the first half and 23 times in total like we've spoken about Pele getting kicked out of tournaments yeah. Maradona is now getting this treatment so <laughs> after the game Gentili famously quipped football is not for ballerinas Wow. And so he sent the message. Wow. Um, Italy won 2-1 against Argentina. And it was Gentile who who was so aggressive, so in Maradona's face. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't find any quotes from Maradona, so I don't know how he felt about it post this game. But it did lead to directives being given to FIFA officials for the next World Cup to right. clamp down on this style of defending. Right, and this okay. is really where we see the, the transition from the kind of um, aggressive kicking lumps up, yeah, kicking yeah, players yeah. into the yeah. air. Protecting stars a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. this is kind of the, the very last dregs of players being allowed to, to yeah. do that to star players yeah. because people want to see attacking football. So I thought that was interesting with um, yeah G- Claudio Gentile, who's basically an absolute hard bastard, and yeah. <laughs> yeah. managed to, uh, to keep Maradona quiet by kicking him as many times as possible. So Italy became the first team to advance from the first round without winning a game drawing all three so again just touching on what we said earlier and they were also the only World Cup winner to draw or lose three matches at the final yeah I've read that yeah amazing so not a vintage team to win the World Cup final but they did what was unnecessary so we've spoken about Marco Tardelli's celebration this is what he said about it after I scored, my whole life passed before me. The same feeling they say when you have that you're, when you're about to die. The joy of scoring in a World Cup final was immense, something I dreamed about as a kid, and my celebration was a release after realising that dream. I was born with that scream inside me, and that was the moment it came out. 
Oh, he's a poet as well. Just stop it. Born with the scream inside me. The Lewis Smith autobiography. That's I'm going to nick that title. <laughs> I love it. That's so good. He but. definitely is nothing to do with Glenn Oddle. Absolutely, that yeah, exactly. Um, but I just thought that was that was pure joy, the yeah, pureness yeah, of football. That's there. great. I love um, that. So yeah, that that was great to to find that quote. So Italy's total of twelve goals scored in the seven matches set a new low per game for a World Cup winning side, right. which was equaled yeah. by Spain in two thousand and ten. Italy's aggregate goal difference of plus six as a tournament remain, remains a record low for a champion. Wow. So yeah. Uh, very defensive and yeah. miserly, but nevertheless, they got the job done. Uh, Dino's, Dino's off. Do you know what was interesting about him collecting? He was captain of this. Uh, was he the team. oldest oldest uh, winner? Correct. Yeah. yeah, he was the oldest winner of a World Cup at the ripe old age of forty-one. Oh, very close. Forty. Ah. Forty years old. Dino's off. The goalkeeper went and collected the uh, the World Cup trophy, right. and then finally, uh, you've already touched it, but Paolo Rossi wins the Golden Boot. Do you know with how many goals? Five or six. Which one are you going to go with? Five. It was six. Ah, Sorry there, Adam. It. Um, but nevertheless, uh, Italy are world champions and we are on next week to a, a different type of podcast. What are we going to be doing, Ad? Well, it's our it's our 50th. Um, well, celebrating our 50th. That's right. Um, it's not exactly our 50th episode. Uh, it's also Christmas, so we thought we'd do something special. Uh, and um, I don't know the best way of describing it. Kind of nailing down into a few of our favourite topics or memorable topics uh, as we celebrate our 50th episode. 